The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. So if you're new here this morning, we've been going through the book of Samuel for about the last eight or so weeks. And last week was all about identity. So we had Samuel who had been judged for his entire life almost. He was getting old, his time was up and it was time for him to pass the baton. Who he planned to pass the baton to were his two sons, but they were ill-equipped. And so the elders revolted and said, we demand not just another leader, but a different kind of leader. We don't want another judge, we want a king. And we don't want just any king, we want a king like all the other nations. This was a problem. This is a big problem. You see, the request that they had was the exact opposite of what God intended for his nation to be. God had called the people of God to be the light in the midst of darkness. As a matter of fact, he had said, I want all of the other nations to look to us to see how they were supposed to live and act and to think and to be. But here they are, they're asking for a king to be like the other nations. Contrary to being holy and distinct and set apart and different. And so this was a problem. This was a problem of identity. And so last week, the big idea was in the form of a question. And it was, have you forgotten your identity? But this week, I want to take it a step further. And I want to ask you, And ask the question, what kind of leader will you be? That's the big idea this morning. And so if you're thinking, okay, Clint, like, I'm not really a leader anywhere, though. So I'm just going to go ahead and check out for the next 30 minutes. Uh, Hold on just a second. Uh, Here's another way to think about it. Pastor Mike at the Orlando campus says, uh, he says that leadership is casting influence on somebody else's life. So if you're here this morning and you've been influenced by somebody, they've had leadership in your life. Or whatever spectrum, whatever season in life, you're probably around somebody that you're casting influence on, whether you're a grandparent, a parent, you're in a job, you're among your friends at school, wherever it is, you're hanging out at night, you're casting influence in someone else's life. And so the question this morning is, what kind of influence will you have on others. And so that's where we're headed this morning. And you know, week after week, especially the first five or six weeks in Samuel, I asked the question, I started with the idea of who's going to be the king? Who's going to be the king? Well, this morning we get to meet the king. So let's take a look. Verse one, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacorath, son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the other people. Who wouldn't want to follow this kind of guy? I mean, this is the kind of guy that all the nations would hire as king, right? I mean, he's been in The Bachelor. He's been voted as Mr. Israel, right? I mean, this guy's not hurting. He looks amazing. He's got a physique like LeBron James. 
This guy is a stud. Who would not want to follow this kind of leader, right? You know, as I think about it, there was an intern that I hired in, in student ministry. This is years ago, and he was a stud. He was a starting, uh, I think he was a receiver for the Mercer Bears, the college football team in town. He started for the team. He was in his senior year. And my hope was is that he would come and actually cast influence in all of our senior, junior, and sophomore guys, freshmen as well, but especially those, those three grades. And so we hired him. We brought him on. Everything was going well. He seemed to love Jesus, casting influence over them. Then we went to camp. And so he shows up at camp and he's going to do the announcement kind of part and he's going to talk about what's our next steps and what's coming up for the next day. And so he stands up there and he's in a cutoff, but it's not like the little, you know, cutoff. It's the cutoff where it's like this, you know, cut out completely. And so I didn't notice it at all. I didn't pay any attention. He gets up, does his thing. And immediately right after this mom comes up, who's like 45, 50, somewhere in there, runs up to me and she's like, are you going to fix this? Are you going to do something about this? And I was like, do something about what? She's like, you didn't notice all the girls going like this and not listen to anything he said? She's like, I was doing it too. Are you joking me? You know? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, golly, that's terrible. You know, I, I should have thought of that. I'm thinking about it. I'm sorry. You know? So I go around, I'm like, hey, man, you know, da, da. He's, he apologizes. He's like, hey, man, I'm sorry. So then get this. Our pastor at my former church gets word that this happened. And so I get back. We had a great camp, great week. You know, some people got saved. A lot of people's lives were changed. And so I walk in. I see our pastor, and he walks up to me and me. He goes, I heard what happened. And he was like, I heard about the shirt. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, somebody got saved, and you're coming to talk to me? I was like, man, am I in trouble? You know, like, what is going on? And he's like, I just want you to know that if I had Robert's body, on Sunday morning, I would preach topless. <laughs> I was like, are you joking me? But isn't he the kind of guy that we want to follow? He looks great. He seems great. Everything's going for him. He's got this appearance, this stature, this, this physique that you're just drawn to. Are you ever drawn to that? You ever drawn to that leader that just has it all and you're like, man, I want to be like this person? Everyone was looking for a king like the nation's. And this guy is fitting the bill. He's fitting the bill. So let's keep going. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalem, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. And I'm sitting there, I was reading through this. I'm like, man, why does it matter that we've got this stud looking for donkeys and he can't find them? Like, what's the bigger picture here? What's going on? And I was like, man, this is so insignificant. Like, who cares? Okay, so he can't find some donkeys. And then it, as I'm reading, as I'm studying, and then it's, as it's hitting me, man, historically, this is a big deal. Historically, what? All of God's leaders they're good at one thing for sure. They're good at shepherding the flock. They're good at caring for, protecting, looking out for those under them, specifically sheep. And so there's this picture of this guy who's got it all together, it seems, but he can't even find his father's donkeys. He goes everywhere looking, he walks around, he just can't seem to seal the deal, right? 
And then we look, you know, if you fast forward a little later, you think about King David, right? What did he do? He would watch over his sheep so much so that he would fight lions and bears to protect his sheep. And we've got Jesus later on who is the good shepherd, right? And then we've got this guy who seems to have it all and he can't even find his father's donkeys. There's a bigger picture here. There's a foreshadowing. Not only that, it's a little more significant. When it says that he lost his donkeys, it doesn't say how many, but the idea is probably a good number because he's going out of his way to go and find it. It's probably multiple paychecks worth of animals. So he's been tasked with, I'm gonna have you look over my flock. I'm gonna have you find my flock. I'm gonna have you bring my flock back. And he comes back wanting. He's not a good shepherd. As a matter of fact, if you're going, Clint, that's, that's pressing the text a little bit. Man, in a couple of chapters, we're gonna see that he's not just a bad shepherd with donkeys. He's a bad shepherd with people. So much so that instead of protecting them and blessing them, he actually starts using them. And so this is a foreshadowing of Saul's character and his leadership, his influence, so to speak. So the question is, which brings us kind of to our first sub point, as you think about your realm of influence, will you be a shepherd leader? Will you be a shepherd leader? You know, I, I was thinking about, uh, this is years ago, I was, uh, I was a car wash manager and I was also working slash partnering with the church to do a new campus, a new church plant. And so when I moved to the area, I thought for sure that my mentoring, all of the, the shepherding and everything would come from the pastor at this church. But it was actually quite the opposite. I came in, it was bad leadership. It was rough going, shepherding. I didn't get shepherded at all. It was just taskmaster, get it done. Go, what are you doing? Where are you at? And then on the other end, at my business, this car wash owner who owned four or five car washes was this incredible man of God. He was an elder at his church, loved Jesus, and it fused everything that he did. And I can, I'll, I'll never forget, we were, I was a couple of months into the job managing the whole store, and we had something. It was a Saturday. We were running about 50 cars an hour. It was busy, cars just flowing through. We were packing them out, getting them through, and then all of a sudden, everything went south. Chain broke, customers are frustrated, everything was going south. And I was like, oh man, like, why is this happening to me? Why is it happening to me when the boss is here? You know, I'm like sitting there thinking like, what is he thinking about me? And I'm trying to get it all fixed. And so we're running, we're trying to fix it. And he looks at me in the midst of all of it. And he goes, hey, Clint. And he didn't say, how are you doing? He said, hey, I just want you to know this kind of stuff happens. It happens. Stuff breaks. Sometimes we lose customers. Sometimes we lose money. And that's part of life. And there's a much bigger picture here. God's in control. He's sovereign. He's working through this. It's going to be okay. We're going to get it fixed. We'll have cars come again. We'll have customers come again. He was a seasoned man. He was like a Titus II, this elder who had said, man, I've been here. I understand it. I get it. And what was he doing in that moment? He was casting influence into my life. So much so that it wasn't too long later, a couple of weeks later, maybe a month later, I'm there. It's just me this time. The owner's not there. I've got all these employees. We're running the store. Something breaks. It goes south. 
And I stopped and I said, hey guys, they're all panicking. They're looking, what's, it, what's he gonna do? How's he gonna respond? And I was like, hey guys, you know what? It's gonna be okay. We're gonna get cars through here again. We're gonna fix the problem. There's a bigger picture here. And I think I even prayed. He was casting down influence on in my life and then it trickled down to the people under me. He was a shepherd leader in my life. You see, good leadership trickles down, but bad leadership trickles down as well. So I want to ask you, are you exercising your influence as a shepherd in the different spheres of your life? I mean, are you treating your employees only as taskmasters? Are you taking the opportunity to point them to Jesus and to find their joy in something bigger than just their job? Are you shepherding and are you casting influence in your job? There's a guy named Dan Ryland. He's up at 12 Stone Church. I went to a conference and uh, he said that he, every employee that comes through, he says, I want more for you than from you. And he said, that's my, that's my motto. So as you come through, it might be that, you be here, that you're here a year or that you're here 20 years, but either way, I want more for you than from you. Do you have that mindset when you're working with people? when you're treating them as a boss, that you want more for them than from them? What about when you discipline your children? I'm just branching it out to other areas. When you discipline your child, is it solely to make your life easier or is it to help them see Jesus and conform them into his image? Shepherding a child's heart. And there's so many other areas in our lives that we have this opportunity to stop and to realize that there's a bigger picture here and to help people essentially take their next step with Christ, next step toward Christ. And so are you a shepherd leader in your life and will you be? Verse five, when they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. I'm just gonna stop. Do you see the character of Saul? They've been looking and they looked around. They went to several different places and he said, hey, you know what? I think it's time to pack it up. Let's go home. We didn't find the donkeys, but I bet, you know, I bet my dad's gonna be more anxious about us than he would be about his donkeys. So I say we just call it a day and we pack it up. You see that, that character? Man, David, no way. He'd be like, we're going to find these donkeys. We're going to go out and we're going to pursue. We're going to get the job done. We're going to seal the deal. But we see this character in Saul. He's ready to go home. But he said to him, this is the servant to Saul, verse 6. Behold, there is a man of God in the city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Interesting. Then Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? I'm just gonna stop again. Do you see that? He's almost being hesitant to go and get advice from a man of God. He's like, well, I mean, we don't, we don't have anything to give him. We don't, we don't have anything to give him. And so that's, you know, we're just not gonna go and ask. But hey, but if you think it's a good idea, that passive kind of leadership, I know y'all feel like I'm hating on him, but I'm telling you, as you see his character unfold in this passage and in the passages to come, you'll see this is what's taking place. He says, what do we have? The servant answered Saul again. Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. 
You see, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. You see how he just wants the easy way out? You see how he's passive? And even most commentators, many commentators say that when he says, hey, we need to give him something, notice the language over and over. It says that they're gonna inquire of him and he's gonna give them the way they should go. In other words, he's gonna be like a fortune teller, almost like a divination style kind of thing. And so he's thinking in his mind, hey, we need to go and give him something so that he can give us something back. Interesting, I'm gonna push it a little further. The word seer. So not prophet, but this idea of, I think the text is pointing to that the idea is is that he very much saw this man as a divination kind of style. So I'm gonna give you something, you as a seer, you're gonna give me something back. So let's keep going. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. Interesting. You see the hand of God in this? God's actually orchestrating this to happen as well. So we've got, I just wanna put this out there. We've got the people are demanding that they have a king but not just any king, one like the nations. But then we see that God's hand is in this, that he's actually gonna give them a king. And it looks like it's gonna be the man Saul. So what's going on? It's both. God's saying, you want a king? I'm gonna give you the king that you ask. As a matter of fact, Saul's name was called, his literal name is ask. And so they asked and they received. You want a king? I'll give it to you. One like the nations, here you go. Just know what you're getting. So he sends him a man, but then interesting, and you shall anoint him to be prince over the house of Israel. That word is not the word for king. It's the word for leader. That's literally what it means. So there's this subtle approach of God saying, hey, guess what? He's not really your king. I'm your king. Subtly, I'm telling you, he's gonna be a leader over you. I'm gonna raise him up. But subtly, I am telling you, I'm reminding you that your only king is God. That your only king is God. Let's keep going. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. So he's raising them up. For I've seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel. So interesting phrase. So they demand a king. God says, I'm gonna give you a king, but I'm not gonna give you a king the way that you think. You ask for a king, one like the nations. Well, guess what? He's gonna be the king that is literally a restraint for you. And so as we see the chapters unfold, as we see the story of Samuel and all of this unfold, what we're gonna see is is that as long as Saul is king, we're gonna see that the people are restrained. They're almost in captivity. It's like God's here and they're over here and there's a separation. They're in bondage under his leadership. So he says, hey, you want a king? I'll give you a king. But he's gonna be a restraining discipline, so to speak, in your life. It's crazy. 
<laughs> Get this. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Are you joking me? Saul doesn't even know who Samuel is. It's like someone who's Catholic doesn't know who the Pope is, right? It's like someone who's Baptist doesn't know who Billy Graham is. It's like someone who's American and doesn't know who Donald Trump is. This is crazy. We've got this guy who's about to become king and he doesn't even know the spiritual leader of Israel. You, you, you getting to see the picture of this guy? Man, he's not a spiritual dude. This dude is not walking with Jesus or with God, right? He's an unspiritual man. And so the, the question, as we look at the character, at the leadership of Saul, the, the question that is asked, man, will you be a spiritual leader? Will you be a spiritual leader? And so as I think about this, as I flesh this out, students, I mean, you're here this morning. Do you use the influence you have as an athlete or a club leader or a friend to point others to Jesus? Do you recognize that all your gifts and abilities come from him and that, that you're there to steward that resource and bring glory to him? I mean, students, that's your, that's your goal, that's your job, to cast influence for the glory of God. Husbands, are you a spiritual leader in your home? Are you influencing your wife to pursue Jesus in all that she does? No, look, we are far from perfect. But there's one thing I learned early on in our marriages is that I've got to pay attention to my wife's spiritual life. Asking her, and I regularly ask her, hey, are you reading the Bible? How's your prayer life? What are your besetting sins that I know and that you know? How are you dealing with those? And I try to listen to her. And then on the flip side, I try to listen to her encouragement. I try to listen to when she calls me out. I try to listen to whatever she's saying about in my life because there's so much that I miss. And she's like, hey, have you been thinking about it? I'm like, no, I really haven't. That's really good. You know what I mean? Casting influence into one another's lives. What kind of leader will you be? Wives, are you challenging your husband to walk with Jesus? Are you influencing him to read the word? to pray, to be on mission with those around him at his job, when he hangs out on the weekends, whatever he's doing, going to meet somebody for a business thing in the breakfast. Is he casting his influence for Christ? Is he being a spiritual leader? Where is he lacking in leadership? Are you graciously encouraging him to grow? Parents, what do your weekly rhythms teach your kids about having a relationship with Jesus? I mean, are you reading the Bible with them? Do you teach them to give 10% of their money to God to say that, man, the stuff that you're getting isn't your ultimate value, it isn't your ultimate treasure? Is their ball game more important than weekly worship in a local church? Is sharing their faith a regular conversation in your household? Do you challenge them to invite their friends to church? Like for instance, maybe you do, maybe you don't do this kind of thing, but if you have a bunch of friends over and they all spend the night, are you doing it on a Saturday night so that their friends can then come and hear the gospel on a Sunday morning? Being missional? Now, I'm just gonna be honest with you. This, this is tough stuff. It's not like I'm knocking it out of the park and everything. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is who we're called to be. This is the kind of leader that God wants us to be. Casting influence in our lives. And you know, uh, 
you want to talk about like spiritual leadership, man, Jonathan Edwards, he is tough to read. And I don't mean because he's deep. I mean, because practically speaking, he's a rock star. So Jonathan Edwards had 11 kids. Okay. So 11 kids, him and his wife, Sarah, they did family devotions every night. I can't imagine with 11 children, but had family devotions every night. And so they're doing their normal thing. And then all of a sudden, get this, there are windows open. A guy passes by. Here's Jonathan Edwards leading his family in devotions. Here's the gospel and get saved. Are you joking me? Like if you ever saw family devotions at our house, I'm like, hey, would you just stay over here while I try and pray? You know what I mean? It's crazy. He's casting influence. He's trickling down influence to his family. And then it overflows to somebody out in a window listening, hearing the gospel and being changed forever. This is crazy. And I want, I want, I want to bring it even further. This is an article, and I'm just going to read it to you. At the turn of the 20th century, American educator and pastor A.E. Winship decided to trace out the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. His findings are astounding, especially when compared to a man known as Max Jukes. Max Jukes' legacy came to the forefront when the family trees of 42 different men in the New York prison system traced back to him. In contrast, Jonathan Edwards' godly legacy includes one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. Juke's descendants include seven murderers, 60 thieves, and over 130 other convicts. It was estimated that Juke's descendants cost the state over $1.2 million. Why is leadership so important? Because godly leadership trickles down. And so does ungodly leadership. That's impactful. As you think about how can I be a spiritual leader? How can I be a leader? What kind of leader will I be? It impacts people. Let's keep going. This is chapter 10, verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. You see the hand of God again? He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Then check this out. So they inquired again of the Lord. Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. 
Then they ran and took him from there. And when they stood among the people, he was taller than any of the other people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. God gave Saul this unprecedented event. There had never been a king in Israel before. I mean, it's almost like the movies, the drum line's hitting, right? Everybody's getting fired up because the lot's landing and it's on one man and it's on his name is Saul and let's rise up and let's shout because we have a new king. And where is he? Nowhere to be found. He's hiding among the baggage. Not a man who's full of the spirit, not a man who's led by the Lord, not a man who is following God and saying, I'm gonna step into my role. I've been equipped, I've been given a new spirit and a new heart, and now I'm gonna jump in. No, we see a man who is cowardly and who falls down and is hiding among the bags. You see the kind of leadership? This one who is like the other nations. And I ask the question, Will you be a bold leader? We've got Saul and he's cowering. He's failing as a leader. And then the question is, will you be a bold leader? I mean, have you ever been that girl or guy? It's your moment to walk in faith and you're hiding from the Lord. You're hiding from the opportunity that he's given you, from the blessing that he said, hey, I'm calling you this. You're hiding from the calling or the commands or, or whatever it is that God's calling you to be. He's saying, be bold, step up, walk in faith and move forward by my spirit and by my power. And you found yourself hiding among the backs. Louis Giglio, uh, so he's a pastor in Atlanta, at Passion Church, and I used to go to his ministry every Tuesday night. It was a college ministry. This is years ago, and uh, college ministry, I'd go every Tuesday night at 722 because I loved his preaching, and so I would go, and I would listen. It was awesome. Well, recently, he came and spoke at a conference my wife was at, and he talked about his call before the Lord, and he said that, you know, when he was a, a college pastor at this church, the one that I went to, he said, one guy finally went up to him one day and they were all hanging out in a group. And he goes, hey, so Louie, I mean, what, what you gonna do like for the rest of your life? I mean, college pastor's cool and all, but like, where are you gonna land, bro? Like, what are you gonna do long-term? And he said, before he could even get a word out, another guy spoke up and said, well, I know what he's not gonna be. He's not gonna be a pastor. And Louie was like, okay, I guess I won't ever be a pastor. Like, I guess I'm just not the right fit. And he started talking to himself, started doing the internal talk and saying, well, I'm obviously not cut out to be a pastor. I'm obviously not cut out to be that guy. And so I guess that's just my lot in life. But then as the years unfolded, God began to say, hey, I want you to start thinking about pastoring, specifically church planning. He was like, no, 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 that's not my deal. Like everybody knows it. I've heard it spoken over me in my life. I'm not gonna be a pastor. This isn't what I'm called to be. This isn't who I am. And he said he fought it and he fought it. And then finally, he said, okay, God, like if you're gonna make this happen, you gotta make it happen. And so then he, he finally turned to the Lord. But man, sometimes we hide because of what other people have said about us, right? I mean, don't we? You ever had somebody speak over you in that way? Family member, a friend, and God's calling you to something to be bold and to step out in faith, whether, whatever that looks like. 
Or maybe it's you got friends that, who don't know Jesus and they're going, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you go to another country? Why would you give your money? Why would you do any of these things? Man, live it up and be like us. And we get that voice in our head and we think, I could never do that. I'll fail at that. I'll drop the ball. There's no way I'm going to get there. And sometimes we hide because we fear the consequences of obedience. What if it's uncomfortable? What if it's costly? What if it changes our lifestyle? What if it changes who we are? And so we hide among the bags. But here's the thing. When we hide in the bags, we miss all of the opportunities that God has for us. Louis says that one of his greatest joys in all of life was planning Passion Church in Atlanta. He said, man, I would never turn back. One of the greatest experiences I've ever had. And in his book, Goliath Must Fall, he said this. This is awesome. He said, show me one person in the Bible that lives a comfortable, safe life and makes an impact for the kingdom. There's not one, he says, not one. Think about it. Can you think of one individual in the Bible that lives the American dream, that has a comfortable, safe life and says, hey, whatever, you're, whatever I'm comfortable, however I feel, I'll make you an impact for the kingdom. Think about it. Abraham lives like a nomad just because God said go. Moses leads an entire people group, even though he feels completely inadequate. Rahab risks her life to be a part of God's people. The disciples preach the gospel to the point of martyrdom and the list goes on. It just keeps going and going as you read the Bible. And so this, this morning, I want to ask you, where is God calling you to be bold? Where is he calling you to step out in faith? Where is God calling you? Is it fostering adoption, missions, in serving or leading here at Grace, in joining a small group so that you can actually live in community and let others be in your life? Is it to give? What is it? Where's God calling you to be bold? Where's God calling you to step out of the boat and to say, I'm all yours? Will you be a bold leader? You know, as I look at this passage and I look at the, the passages to come and we see Saul's life, and I'm like, man, he dropped the ball as a shepherd, right? He didn't care for his flock. He didn't find the donkeys. He just let it go. And then I see he's not a spiritual leader. And not only that, he's not bold. He's hiding among the bags. And then it hit me as I think about this every week. Man, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, Saul, you dropped the ball. You dropped the ball as a shepherd among your kids. You dropped the ball as a shepherd among your friends. You dropped the ball as a shepherd leader in general. And maybe you're here this morning and you're going, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not a spiritual person. Like I don't think about God. I don't think about who he is and what he's done and all those things. And, and I'm definitely not bold. And, and you're sitting here and you're going, that's me. I'm like Saul. I'm so thankful that God intended all of life to eventually raise up the one and true king. The one king who said, man, I'm going to leave the 99 to find the one, right? I'm going to leave the 99. And when I find the one, and I will find the one, I'm going to save him. I'm going to redeem him. And I'm going to change his life forever. I am the perfect good shepherd. And not only that, man, I am not just a spiritual leader. I'm actually your mediator. And I'm going to come and I'm going to die on a cross. And I'm going to mediate between you and God. I am spirituality. 
I am the one and only, and you come to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. There will be no other gods among me. I am the perfect spiritual leader in your life. Come to me. And he says, last man, I'm gonna be the risk taker. I'm gonna be bold in your behalf. I'm gonna do what you could never do. I'm gonna die on a cross and I'm gonna receive the wrath of God to pay for your sins. I'm gonna be bold for you. I'm gonna stand in the gap for you. I'm gonna give you life and newness in me. And so as you look at this text and you go, man, I've failed, look to Jesus. Because remember, if you're looking to him for your leadership, it trickles down. If you're looking to him for life, the life will trickle down in your job, among your communities, among everyone around you. I'm pointing you to Jesus this morning because he is our ultimate leader and king. So are you gonna have influence? What kind of leader are you gonna be? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for Jesus and just how amazing he is in our behalf and that, man, we've all failed God. And so we just, we repent. We just confess that we have failed in these areas. And Jesus, we look to you. We look to you for guidance. Help us to be bold. Help us to be shepherds. Help us to be spiritual leaders. We love you and praise you. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.